Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of The Urban Mystic. In this season, we're exploring relational spirituality, which is not rooted in character formation and instead in immediate relational engagement with God. It is a relational, mystical spirituality encouraging people to enter deeply into living and loving in relation to their own self, others, and God. We can't think of any better venture to give our lives to than this, and I'm sure you'd agree with us. We often end up having conversations with people following our podcast episodes. So we just figured that uh, for this episode, we'd have a conversation with someone that we normally have a conversation afterwards. In this week's episode, we're joined by our good friend, Jackie Barker. Jackie runs a foster home called Ompile House. There'll be some details in the show notes below, and you'll get to hear a little bit about what, uh, what her and her husband, Tim, are doing. Urban Mystic relies on your support to do the work that we do. Please consider making a regular or once-off contribution via the, the link to PayPal in the show notes. Please don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the co- podcast, and leave a comment on your favorite listening platform. It's been quite a while since we've actually had a, a guest on, on on an episode with us. And uh, I mean, it's been at least 19 episodes now, if not 20. <laughs> well, 20, 21 now. Jackie, thank you for for joining us for an interlude between the season that's, that Steve and I have been chewing through. It's a great time, I feel, just to, I guess, a slightly different conversation or to process some different questions. Where... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super stoked to be here. As, as you'll both know, I, I generally have a ton of questions after each episode. <laughs> and it's quite nice to process them with you on here rather than you getting these essays that I write to you on WhatsApp. Uh, Steve, do you want to introduce Jackie since that's how I got to know Jackie? So, <laughs> Well, I, I was actually thinking it might be, uh, what, might be quite nice, Jax, if you wanted to introduce yourself and give us just a little bit of a sense of who you are. And then my understanding from Tim is we're going to jump into some some questions you wanted to pose around some of the conversations we've been having in the last few weeks. Yeah, we'll just kind of pinball after that. You, as as you would know, and as we've often said before on the podcast, these things are so incredibly overscripted that everyone knows exactly what's going to happen from one minute to the next. So, with that kind of level of looseness, give us a sense of who you are and uh, anything else you want to share. Go nuts. And then we'll jump into your questions. Well, go, go nuts. That ship has possibly sailed. <laughs> yeah. <that's kind> of <laughs> and put you in good company. I think that's a good introduction all on its own. Um, uh, cool. So I am a Presbyterian minister. I am based in Johannesburg, uh, where I part-time run a church. And in the rest of my time, I run a family, which also happens to be an NPO because we are a foster home. We take in children who who need safety and and long-term, we specifically take in long-term care and we, with the, with the intention of giving kids permanence. So uh, we, we're actually in the process of adopting uh, a bunch of our kids. So we, we currently have five kids uh, in our care. And so, yeah, that's me. I've been a I've been a, a good friend of Steve for many years, and uh, so when he started uh, the podcast, I started following it, and um, was just unbelievably challenged. I think the first season that you guys put out um, uh, triggered me <laughs> so much, <laughs> and 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 Steve will will testify to all the whatsapps he got after every episode kind of going oh i really didn't like this or oh i really like that <laughs> and yeah so i've been a 
a, a follower since then and and then subsequently kind of uh, connected with Tim, I think, in December. Mm, and, I think it was uh, December, yeah. have been very privileged to develop a friendship there as well. And so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's me. Um, uh, I, I was saying, you know, that uh, Tim frightened me terribly at first. Uh, I found him very scary, and uh, but uh, but yeah, he he turns out that he's actually not a bad guy. Um, you know, when, you know, when you chat to him, totally nuts. But uh, Tim is definitely the scary of the two of us. He's the bouncer yeah. at the Urban Mystic Club, so oh, absolutely, rely on his, uh... totally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually get that quite often. I, I have people say that I can be quite intimidating or. I, I don't understand it. I think of myself as being quite a, a gentle and peaceable folk <laughs> myself. But but I, I must admit that that I've got a I've got a strong bias. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> it's been really nice getting past that 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 barrier and uh, and getting to know you as well, Jackie. So yeah, thank you, thank you for making the connection. Yeah, no, it's been it's been an absolute privilege, and uh, yeah, and it's and it's exciting to be on here with you guys. Well, I think what what we'll do is we I'd love to put um, a little bit of info around uh, Umpile House and the work that you, Jackie, are doing, you and Tim. So we must just quickly differentiate between Tim, your husband, and Tim <laughs> here on the podcast, the two different Tims. And we'll also just, perhaps as we wrap up uh, this evening, we can also just jump back a little bit into your story at the end around around some of the work you're doing, because I would love to just put that out there for our listeners to be able to to get a sense of the amazing work you're doing in uh, for me some of the the most meaningful and also some of the just the deepest darkest places um at the moment and and what it means to be human in terms of taking on little people out of really difficult situations and circumstances and so not so much to just dig into each of their stories as just to to give you a chance to put out there who you guys are and what you're doing for our listeners to uh, to interact with you a little bit so we'll put that in the show notes listeners uh that you can go and and, and discover uh, jackie and her amazing family on facebook etc and get a further sense of what they're doing mm. um, no, but I thanks love that yeah thanks for joining us it's uh it's wonderful to have you here so tim says you've come <laughs> ready and prepared <laughs> With, uh, with with questions, and I, I want to just front load that a little bit because I have found people who are listening and who are really listening to the conversations that Tim and I are attempting to have will often have some really creative, meaningful, and kind of really insightful comments or questions around where we're headed. And sometimes those sound quite challenging on the surface. They can be, you know, what the hell are you talking about? Or what does this mean? Or what's going on here? Or, no, that's wrong. It should rather be this or whatever. But no matter the packaging, it's it's always been incredibly helpful when we've had people really take seriously and say, hey, I don't like that. Or I really like this, but couldn't it be better put that way? Or what, what on earth are you guys mumbling about in this <laughs> section? Or, or whatever it might be. And so as a general kind of invitation and exhortation and encouragement to any of our listeners, we really value that feedback. This is not a, this is not a closed echo chamber. 
where Tim and I believe that we're putting out, you know, the truth that trumps all the truth all the time. We're really, and we've said this before, we're really wrestling, really grappling with what we believe to be meaningful content. And so it's a great privilege to actually do this now with you live, Jax. Um, what you've done before, kind of off air, for lack of a better phrase, and others have done. And so I just wanted to publicly kind of thank you and thank the others who've really contributed in their questions and their pokings and their remarks and their wonderings in return uh, to this journey that we've uh, that we've been taking through Urban Mystic. So thank you and welcome again. And uh, yeah, fire away when you're ready. Well, well, truth be told, I think we uh, we just plagiarized the the best of the conversations we have with other people. And <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the truth is out there. Um, um, cool, well, Steve. I'm actually going to throw it back to you because it was a conversation that I started with Tim just just before the podcast, actually, and it it actually came from a. a um, something that you were saying in the last podcast. Um, and I just want to say one thing about your podcast. Sometimes your podcasts feel a little bit like uh, drinking from a fire hose because there's so much in it mm. that um, I Preacher often sister. want to like, <laughs> like I often want to like, like pause it and go, right, at two minutes, 11 seconds, you said ABC, like explain that more. Or at this point you went into this, I'd, I'd love you to like, just dig in deeper there. But um Towards the end of the last podcast, uh, Steve, you were talking, you you were giving the example of of parenting a child and how in sort of talking about the presence and the absence of God and the fact that, you know, when when a when a child is obviously when they're very, very little, you 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 completely present and you do everything for them. And then as they grow, so you kind of remove that and you you step back and you you let them tie their shoes and you let them. I think you were talking about your son playing football. Um, and, and taking that step back. The question I have around that is you would only do that once a child is is fully secure. And, and it's I, 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 I often um, look at your child parent analogies maybe in a slightly different light because of the kids that we take in who are, are extremely insecure. And, and we have to start almost from scratch, no matter the age with the child, of building that kind of security uh, so that they can trust us that when one day at some point we start to withdraw, they, they don't feel abandoned, that they understand, well, mom is still there. She's just standing on the edge of the field instead of right next to me. And I'm curious from, from and at risk of stretching the analogy maybe, but but how how would how would that work with God in the sense of how would he build that security with us? Because, um, and surely that's, just as you said with your with your with your boy, you you kind of explained like today I'm not going to be with you on the field. I'm going to um, I'm going to step aside and and you can then talk to the coach and and, and etc. It's like how how does God do that for us, or how do you see that God does it for us? And 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 I think my question actually has a has a, almost an underlying deeper question, which is you know why maybe why does it just talking from experience. I, I experience that as abandonment, and and so so we there's there feels like there's a discrepancy there because then we're not secure enough. But then whose job was it to make us secure enough in order for him to be absent? <laughs> Is that not his role in our lives to make us secure? Enough? Good question, Tim. <laughs> 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 oh, there's a yeah. I 
think the first thing I would say is I'm just so aware of usually being the one asking the questions in these contexts. So that takes me a moment to actually just think I must, I must sort of correlate my thoughts in a helpful way in my response, because I think my first intention, again, something similar to what I said five, seven minutes ago is, I don't want to come across as uh, the sage sitting on the top of the mountain and I'm going to now get out my big ladle and dispense some wisdom. So this is still something that I'm grappling with. And I have some distinct feelings, some very clear feelings, and I have some thoughts. And I'm also aware that sometimes the more you dig, some of those get you know overturned or some of them get confirmed in a certain way. But if to really sort of stay open and hungry and curious around what this might really mean. And so as I grapple with what you're asking, I'm simultaneously grappling constantly within myself around what is presence and absence and what is, you know, that's, that's part of what you're asking. Part of what comes to me is the idea of security or safety, which I've also been thinking a lot about recently. Um, yes. May I throw something else out there before? Go for it, and then I'll then I'll try and have a go. And it may it may explain why I'm triggered by this as well by this particular question or concept. There there was a video that did the rounds of a girl who went, uh, like a teenage girl who lives with her father, and they've got this lovely it's a allegory or whatever, and they have got this lovely relationship and a very very close relationship and whatever, and and then she finds out she's got this degenerative disease and she's losing her sight, and. As she loses her sight, so her father stops helping her and stops showing up. Now, in the video, you can see it looks like she's alone. And she kind of goes, where are you? Why have you left me? You know, she's a kind of young teenage girl. And she kind of has to figure herself out and figure out how to, you know, put toothpaste on a toothbrush and how to go for runs and how to do all this kind of stuff. And, and, and it's awful. It's horrific. Like, she's all alone and trying to figure this out. And she's losing her sight. And she's, you know, this whole thing. And then suddenly the one day she almost runs off the edge of the cliff and suddenly her dad's there and, and stops her. And then the video kind of goes back and shows, no, no, he never actually left her. He was there, but he had withdrawn so that she would learn how to cope for herself, right? Mm. And uh, so so, so he, it shows you how he actually was protecting her in, in ways, but and, and how the separation had hurt him more and blah, 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 right? Okay. That video made me so angry <laughs> yeah because because they were putting this out as like oh but this is what god does you see and he and he and he specifically steps back so that we can learn and we can and and i go that's freaking abusive man like like she's in the worst space of her entire life you know she's going through incredible loss there are better ways sorry personally that you could help someone develop that kind of independence without like ditching them and pretending to not be there. I mean, like, what is that? And 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 it made me so mad that that was the picture that's put out of God of like, oh, well, if you can't feel him, he's teaching you a lesson. And I, I suppose I look at that as I just go, well, no, when somebody's in the lowest place of your life, you 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 draw closer, you don't withdraw. Uh, I mean, we we understand that. And and yet somehow that seems to be the argument of, you know, why in hard times God seems to 
to disappear as owner. It's to teach us. It's to teach us a lesson or whatever. And and so so when you when you brought up that 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 analogy of your your son, <laughs> I think it triggered that same thought of the video of God kind of stepping back when you most need him. Mm, and, I, and I just mm. think I think I I just if God is the God that we we understand him to be, I would I would I would want him or think that he would draw near in those periods. Sorry, do you mind if I? If I comment, yeah, I know I know you're directing the question to Steve. Steve. Steve, do you mind? Yeah, you're welcome. Go for it. My first thing would be that if if that is an accurate portrayal of God in that video, then the best way for us to answer this question is to not answer it for you, just to move on to something else. <laughs> but that facetiousness aside, <laughs> I, I I have to I have to question like hearing a video like that, is that an accurate portrayal of the God that I know? And I don't think that that is the case. A concept that Steve and I have been teasing out a bit and that I've alluded to a couple of times is that, is that something that, is, it, that isn't often highlighted is the fact that God works by delegation. Delegation is a big part of, of what God has done with creation. And God has handed over parenting to, very, to human beings. So whose job is it to make us secure? it's actually our parents' job to start with. Whose job is it in the absence of them to make each other secure? First and foremost, it is still a human-to-human relationship. That's where it ought to be, just on the basis of delegation, because God's handed this over to us. You know, procreation, child-rearing, foster care, (laughs) all of these kind of things are first and foremost in our hands and in our relationship. So I think think that that responsibility doesn't, doesn't go away. So I think the language of, of God stepping back as a parent and leaving us to do things on our own is a premature application of an image and an analogy when people haven't necessarily even experienced God as arriving in the first place. And so one of the things that we we did tease out in last week's episode as well, um, and, and before that we've touched on it as well, is the sense of process and an appropriate process and the different kinds of silence and absence of God, the silence and absence of God that is never having arrived in someone's life and never having spoken to them is very different to a mature or a maturing kind of silence and absence where both parties enter into that in order to to find each other. And that's that's a different kind of thing. So I'd say that 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 more often than not, God's work is often not as as the father in that image stepping back in order to enable a child to find responsibility and security within themselves. God is often entering into right or wrong that's been done. So God is not operating from the foundation of, of the foundation of a healthy adult to adult relationship with each and every one of us. God is often entering as redeemer and healer in a relationship with someone who's an adapted child, now dysfunctional adult, and engaging them from that perspective. And there's a lot of triggering, there's a lot of distance, there's a lot of missing. There's a lot to be righted and rectified, and it's something that God does over a long period of time with interventions that, that, that often do make a significant difference along the way. And that's certainly how, how, how I see it. And I think that, <clears throat> that, uh, that more often than not, Steve wonderfully put out this, uh, this image uh, a little while ago about how we draw off the shelf of the tradition of our faith and out the Bible. But we pick the best examples, and then we feel we speak as though those examples actually apply to us or to people around us. And and we're largely not experiencing the God that is present in person to speak and act. 
we're experiencing the God that hasn't been there, but that we believe to be there on the basis of tradition and faith, and we're filling in the blanks. And I think our faith and our spirituality is dysfunctional in that sense because we're recasting God's absence as though it is God's presence and God's silence as though it is God's voice. And I think that's where we end up with a lot of frustration in this. And so we're projecting the frustration onto God, and, and rightly so, but it's, it's also we're projecting frustration in light of the fact that God hasn't arrived for us. Yeah, I'm, so I, I'm trying to listen well to, the, to, the, you know, to both of you. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know where to start, to be very honest, to try and tease this concept out because is it bad that God abandons us? Yeah, I feel I feel that personally. It doesn't feel enjoyable. I don't don't like it. If I think about myself as a parent, I see the necessity of that. But I don't enjoy it personally when it happens to me. Is it abandonment? Is it just perceived abandonment? The, you know, the, the clip that you talk about, Jackie, is, you know, I, I, find it, yeah, I find it somewhat problematic because it, it just cuts out any of the actual relational sort of interaction between two people and it becomes function over anything else. So the whole point of that girl and her process and what happens to her in the clip is that you know, she adjusts to to what's happening to her and she becomes a whole, essentially an independent adult who can do this stuff on her own. And the function of and the relating between her and God in that imagery is functional. It's God is doing all of that just so that, you know, she can grow up as an independent young woman and then, oh, look back, oh, look at all these wonderful things God was doing. But it's not a relational interaction. And I think abandonment is it's a deeply relational thing to feel abandoned by someone. There's a, there's a yearning for that person, that thing. But it, it's not like that, that video doesn't make a good point in a way. Like for that person to grow up independently, there does need to be a gap that forms in a functioning of the relationship. But for me, what's missing is just the, the actual, the significant relating to each other. Is there no, you know, coffee or tea at the end of the day to reconnect? Is there no laughing over her putting her toothbrush, toothpaste on the wrong end of her toothbrush or whatever? And, and that's where I feel that the, that the, abandonment and the presence is is a dynamic thing it's not a static reality god will just abandon you more and more and more and more because the point is that you just grow up to be independent because mm. if i think of a mm. positive yeah. adult and adult child relationship as in one person a is an adult and person b is their child who is now an adult i think that surely a very full expression of a of a, a, a adult parent to their adult child is a rich sort of tapestry of interactions and moments together and significant moments and sharings and stories and heartache and listening and laughter, etc. But to my mind, it's not a healthy relationship to, to, to spend your, you know, to grow up in your parents' house and then live there till you're 50 or 60 or 70 or whatever. There is a necessity for you to get out and be somewhat independent. And and 
that that dynamic between independence and dependence is part of the functioning of a healthy relationship. You are dependent on each other to a certain extent because you choose this significant, meaningful relationship. You choose to nurture it. You choose to spend time with each other, enjoy each other's presence, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not talking about the biological beginning in you know, intact families. I'm talking about what it means to have an emotionally rich relationship with a with your parent who's an adult and you have now become an, their adult child. And, and there's a dynamism there in terms of, well, you go off and, and you have your own family and you do your things and then you come back and we spend time together and I allow you to leave and I go off and do my things and I will come and visit you with my whatever, you know, grandchildren or whatever the, you know, the, the picture might be as it grows. But abandonment is to a certain extent a necessary part of life. But it's not fun and it's not nice. And I don't know if it's meant to be as significant as abandonment. It's a, it's a very loaded term, you know. The term abandonment here is a, is a strong one. If I think of mentoring as a process, in, in mentoring, you'll often have someone that is experienced that steps forward to do something that you want to do as someone who wants to learn to be schooled into it so you're going to step forward you're going to do something and then if you're a good mentor to someone and you want to include them and train them and school them and raise them up and allow them to find their own way in something you're going to bring them alongside you to do that work with you and then you're going to step back to allow them to do it and as you need to step in to guide to support to take over at times <clears throat> to get them up to up to speed you're going to have this process of handover and i think that 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 the word abandonment doesn't apply there because what you're doing is you're stepping back to allow someone else to take the stage or you're stepping back to allow someone to take the reins and i think that that's a valuable part of the process and then eventually after a period of time that you're confident that they've they've learned enough to be able to stand on their own and it's important for you to step back and let them have that space and then they can always come to you as they need or not, you know, depending on how they mature and how they grow. You step back knowing that you can trust them to be independent, knowing that they are fully capable or that they are actually capable enough at that stage to not be required on you. They can actually be self-learning from that point onwards. They can analyze their own problems, find their own solutions, but they're actually quite capable at that point. And, and I think what's, a video thing like that does is it actually confuses the two it collapses the idea of a mentoring relationship into a relational process human beings don't start life conscious we develop consciousness in the context of the relationships that we're in and then we start taking responsibility for our relationships in one way or another I, uh, let me speak fairly. We we take irresponsibility for our relationships to start <laughs> off with. And in that context, we start figuring out what it means to be responsible. The problem with an analogy like that is that it assumes the fullness of a clarity of a relationship and a fading sight and the struggle within that. We don't start with the fullness of a relationship with God in our context. We start from the position that we're given a faith, we're given an image of God to believe in that's often a classical image of God, but it's not a relational image, or at least it's not a relational experience for us. It's, it's, a, it's something that we adopt on the basis of faith. And then we experience these various ways in which we've got to go out into the world without being mentored, without being prepared. There's a lot of people 
who whose introduction to life is is not a safe launching pad. They don't get to leave home. They they get to try and find a way to be responsible amidst a lot of pain, confusion, and brokenness, and and from nothing. It's a very different experience in in, in life, and so so I feel like you know images and and shorts like that are supposed to be so affirming of how God's always been there. You just you just didn't perceive it. What what you what you mentioned earlier about about people who have got very insecure relational attachment styles and often complex insecure relational styles, or in your case, complex childhood post traumatic stress disorder in relationships. You know, it's that's 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 significant stuff. You know, they even in a safe relationship, when the safety of of a home that you provide, like you do. You, you're going to see tremendously insecure behavior. And, and like Steve said the other day, people don't defend themselves and attack others because they're feeling safe. <laughs> it's because they're feeling unsafe. And yes, we do get to do that with God. And, and we often do. And we often respond to God as though God is abandoning us when God is stepping away healthily. But more often than not, we're actually responding out of sense of, of there actually not being security in the relationship. We're not responding from a position of security in a relationship. Why? Because when we look at people that do have security in that in, in that relationship, it's very different. In your in your last couple of podcasts, uh, you, you you talk about the absence of God and you talk about abandonment. Would you separate those two? Does God ever abandon us? I mean, could could we define those terms? That's a good question. Because I think about. I wonder to some extent whether the feeling of abandonment is a subjective sort of it's a receptivity almost on the on the on the part of the person who has experienced the other taking a step back. So I'll just try and like declutter that somewhat. I have no intention of abandoning my children, let's say, as a parent. That is an objective statement. But there might be times when they feel as though, but actually, you know, dad should be closer. He should be here. He should be helping me. He should be, I can't do this. And I think anyone who's worked with children for more than seven minutes will have heard a small child say, but I can't. And the response to that is not, oh, well, I'll do it for you. The response is to, to entice a I can out of the I can't. And that's a very simple statement, but that's, that's like the long-form trajectory is to, is to help the child see within themselves a person who can rather than just to be constrained by the boundaries of can't. And so when you step back and they're left with that, but I can't do this, that can feel like abandonment. Would it be the parent's intention to abandon them? No, perhaps sometimes in the manifesting behavior, the one doing the stepping back is meaning for it to be an abrupt felt shift, not necessarily in a harmful or hateful way, but in a, this is it. Now is time. I'm stepping back and you're stepping forward. Go into the classroom. Go onto the sports field, go onto the playground and try and make a friend. And it can be perhaps 
you know, I'm battling for language here. And it's not, it's not that it's a, you know, grab them by the scruff of the neck and throw them like all the best. It's not that old school analogy, right? Of, oh, you can't swim? Well, I'll throw you in the deep end and you'll figure it out because that's a little bit too Darwinian for me. But I think the opposite side of that is, is creates an over safety culture in which, in which it's very difficult for the two parties to start to, to, to self-identify. Self-identify is a little bit of a weird phrase, perhaps at the moment, given it's got a, new, a number of ways in which it can be interpreted. But for me to really come to grips with me, I need to know that there is a, there's a definitive boundary between a you and a me, and that we're not enmeshed. And that our relating to each other is as two distinct objects. And so sometimes I need to be left to myself to experience myself and go, oh, this is it. These resources, this person, this consciousness that I can call on, that's what I have in my understanding of I. That's it. And that can feel quite scary and all sorts of things. And a parent that overrides that or, or an other that overrides that too much is actually trespassing on this person's sense of self. They're not giving them space in which to discover it. But it's not necessarily always a wonderful, warm, fuzzy feeling. And so I imagine the abandonment can be very much a perceived state. Perhaps sometimes it's even intentional. I mean, I've, I've seen parents dropping off kids for the first time at school. And it's, you know, it's a big, important step, that independence, and the kids hate it. And it is somewhat a, like, okay, there you are with the teacher, and I am going to step back, and I'm going. And that seems to be a distinctive sort of abandonment move. But I, again, it's, it's, it's too easy to, abandonment sounds so final as a term. And so that's something I would coax out of that definition. Abandonment seems to be a once and for all, that's it. And I think that's some of what I hear, Tim, you're putting forward in terms of the, that's where we come with the replacement theory is, well, that vacuum I need to fill with something. And so I'm going to deal with the kind of existential crisis by pulling out theology or doctrine or a picture of God or whatever. And it gives me something to relate to that so dials down the nervous energy that fills that vacuum because there isn't anything there. And some of what we're suggesting is that if you can actually hold that nervous energy, that's a liminal space in which the personhood of God can actually step forward and say, hello, <laughs> over here, <laughs> behind all the doctrine or the, the, you know, the stories you were told or the, the whatever it is, there is actually a potential to relate, but don't fill that space with like a fluffy teddy bear to make you feel better. You actually have to kind of stare into the void a little bit to a certain extent. Absence, I think, is a little bit easier to understand. Absence is just lack of presence. Abandonment sounds malevolent. Absence, I think, is, is more somewhat coincidental, somewhat circumstantial, and somewhat intentional around where well, you have your space and I have mine. I am coming closer. You feel my presence. I am taking a step back because I want some time out or you need some time out or we both have separate things to do or whatever. But I don't think absence ever is, is I don't think it's meant to indicate a break in the connection, but it's important to, to distinguish between the ongoing 
sort of relationship connection and the felt experiences of something or someone's presence. I agree with you there. I feel like there's 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 two very important kinds of abandonments or, or, or releasing or entrusting that are in play. There's the abandonment by God and then there's the abandonment of God. The abandonment by God is as God releasing us to stand on our own in a situation. And that could be a situation like Jesus is led into the desert by God and left alone with the devil. Great company, right? <laughs> that is an abandonment. <laughs> There's Jesus being led to the cross, being nailed to the cross, going, holy shit, where the fuck are you? Uh, loosely paraphrased, straight from the Greek. That's the right, new passion the translation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Really gets the inflection of the Greek verbs, I think. <laughs> I like it. The abandonment is so deep that just a little bit beforehand, he's turning to the thief on the cross with him saying, it's okay, buddy, we're going to be in heaven together after this. Um, mm. Joke's on you. <laughs> Did they go to the same destination? Did perhaps the thief go to heaven and Jesus just go the other direction? Uh, let's not tease that out now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that has experienced a deep abandonment by God rightfully uses that word. But there's many times along the way where God steps back for us to take the lead or God takes us into a situation and God steps back so that we can grow into maturity to stand on our own. That's very important. But the abandonment of God is equally important. That's when we begin to release the reliance that we have on God to stand on our own. And we even get to do that with the empowerments and the ambassadorial roles that we, we're called to play as people you know, in ministry and just people in, in general in the world, as anyone that follows God, right? Anyone that has received the Spirit in that sense. And, and that abandonment of God, God actually wants us to release a, like an over-reliance on God in order to grow up and stand on our own two feet because God wants us to grow up to be adults. So there's an interplay between those two. And so abandonment is a, is a strong word, and I think that there are times when God will abandon us. Not all but some. And Jesus is a very clear example of, of, of that. So I think that's language. There's language there that we often want to cut against because we think that God doesn't abandon us. But God does purposely ab abandon people, even those that God loves. But for the most part, that's not the case. But I think in many situations, we're dealing with, with the 450 years preceding Christ, <laughs> not, not those few years where he's talking about the kingdom of God being near and at hand. We're actually more in the context where we're not experiencing and we haven't experienced God drawn near. We're not, we're not experiencing God's silence and absence in the context of the richness of God's presence. And God's saying, I want you to stand on your own, so I'm going to be silent or I'm going to step back. We're, we're more often than not in the context of not experiencing God and drawing off the shelf, drawing on our tradition and our heritage of faith as though that is the context that we're in. And I feel like there's a there's a very important difference between the two, yeah. And I I find myself unable to easily get away from that because I feel like 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 again, the silence and absence of a God that has never arrived is very different to the silence and absence in a mature relationship or a maturing relationship. Can I give that back to you quickly in just as simple terms as I can put it in terms of what I hear you saying? I didn't, didn't I, I summarize that succinctly. And <laughs> 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 yes, please, Steve, please. 
<laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> but that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. I'm just I'm just wanting to package it quickly and give you a snapshot of what you're saying. And I'd rather not. I'd rather, you know, the, the, the complex conversation is important. But just as a pause, I hear you distinguishing between absence and abandonment. Absence is almost... Okay, forget the metric of time so much as just the, the phrase. It's the day-by-day -day comings and goings of God. If we look at a household, right? It's we we met up over breakfast and then we parted until we met for coffee later mid-morning and then we parted until we met for lunch. And it's somewhat incidental, somewhat just in the, you know, the actual sort of run of the day itself. Sometimes those periods are a bit longer because you've also got groceries or whatever, 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 and you come back together for dinner together or whatever it is. Sometimes one person in the the dyad, let me not say couple necessarily, but in the two people relating deeply to each other is away for a night, let's say. And so it's the next day of a return and a reconnect or whatever. Sometimes it's the ships in a night passage. You get three, four, five very busy days, and you go a while before there's a meaningful conversation or a meaningful moment of interaction, perhaps. But it's it's less of a pointed absence so much as it is somewhat of the day to day of what it means. It's it's like the it's the boring oats porridge. No, nah, boring is maybe not not fair. It's just the day by day, you know sort of subsistence level to extent of what a, a, a relationship is. The abandonment of what I hear you saying is almost sort of critical junctures. There are moments of an intentional, okay, but I'm not coming with you. What do you mean? Like, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to get groceries. And I said, do you want to come? And the other person said, no. This time, I'm not. I'm staying at home. You go on your own. And there's kind of a dun-dun-dun. Oh, okay. Like, that's weighty. That feels like something. And it can be as something as simple as that, or it can be a prolonged sense of absence, right? But there's a, but there's a, it feels as though there's an axis on which, on which that revolves, which is just more substantial than the day-to-day -day absence. And the third thing that I hear you talking about is to note, and, and we talked about this, I think, last week, which kind of which aired today in more details, the idea of to have felt someone's presence, to know their voice, to know what it is to relate to them, and then miss them is a different missing to not knowing them not having felt their presence, not knowing their voice and going, well, to a certain extent, I don't know what I'm missing. But that's skewed a little when we talk about God, because it's easy for me to talk about, you know, Reggie from Timbuktu, who I've never met. But the culture around me, or often the theological traditions and, you know, ecosystems, etc., are telling me a lot about this person. And so I have a sense of an actual relationship where I don't. I have a connection potentially with a doctrinal position or a set of belief statements or even a person, but the person is somewhat of a mannequin, you know, dressed in the doctrines of that specific ecosystem. And so it's a question of you can't feel the absence of that set of beliefs, 
person of God, etc., in the same way, and you can't also feel the abandonment there, in the same way that you can when you have this experience, and I think that's an important word, the experience of relating to or not relating to the being. And those are broadly the three things that I hear you just kind of highlighting, Tim, if I'm correct, um, there. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and I'm very much with you in terms of that. And I think abandonment, I think the last thing I'd say, I think it is a weighty term and I think it's a hard term. And I also think sometimes, and this is, I want to say countercultural, but this is just counter me, to be very honest. Like, I can't believe I'm going to say this is what I want to say. <laughs> is, <laughs> I don't like that. I, 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 I can't stand that. But I, I'm, as hard as it is for, I have been experiencing a significant abandonment season, period, between myself and God. So I, just to put context to that, I say this out of that context. I think sometimes we overemphasize the ideas of safety and comfort and connection, and we miss the difficult sides of life, like risk, like relationship is risk. There is no way to make it safe. You can do it better. You can do it healthily. You can do it safer, but it isn't safe in the same way that you started dying from the first breath you took. Life is, you know, Switchfoot says no one's getting out of this alive. And abandonment for me falls in that category. I hesitate to use the word necessary because everything in me wants to go, there must be a better way, surely. And that is still a conversation I'm having with God. But something in me says I can see that somehow forming a space here because I know there are times when I have to go, no, 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 this is you, this is me now. And we need to be clear on that. And I'm going to take a step back. And you might feel abandoned by me in that. But for the sake of both of us and the health of both of us, I need to take a step back and you need to take the step on your own. And I think that plays out in you know, adult relationships, parenting relationships, couples, uh, like you know, all over the show in, in what it means to be human. But it's really hard to talk about. It's really, really, it's not easy. It's 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 complex it's emotionally it's not neutral <laughs> at all i mean who wants to be abandoned nobody wants to be abandoned i don't want to be abandoned but i know that on the other side if i have to let me put it this way it's probably the clearest i think i can put it to myself as i chew through this the other side of abandonment is constant presence and i know that if i look at that that is a recipe for an immature life at some point, there has to be a balancing between presence and absence. Perhaps there's lots of room for conversation about does it have to be abandonment or not? Is that actually a healthy manifestation of this? I'm not going to go that far and put my chips down completely and say that's, it absolutely has to be that or not. But when I balance those things out, I go, it, it can't, just be, can't just be the, we're all together all the time. That's a bit suffocating. And I think anyone who's experienced that would eventually acknowledge that is suffocating. And actually, in the worst case scenarios, people go, oh, God, just abandon me for a little. Holy cow, yeah, yeah. can yeah, I get five yeah. minutes to myself? <laughs> anyone who's ever had small children, I think, would celebrate their small children abandoning them once a day for 10 minutes. But, you know, I jest, but 
there has to be something in that. And, and I say that out of a place in which it's been very painful for a while now for me to sense this, where are you and why won't you come back and what's going on? Why won't you speak? What's happening? Kind of, you know, it's a horrendous simplification of where I've been at. But um, anyway, as a, you ask really good, tough questions. I, I think, uh, Steve, your definitions uh, were, were very helpful, and, and I, I, I get that. So, so the kind of day-to-day -day interacting with God, where, where you know, you, you engage and then you withdraw, and, 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 and I, I understand presence and absence in that way, and I understand then the abandonment seasons. I think um, in some faith traditions, they would call it the dark night of the soul, right? Um, and, and, and I... And I also would agree that that until you've actually entered into sort of an experiential relationship with God, I almost want to say both those both those um, uh, experiences of God, His absence or His abandonment, are almost a mute point because you're not you're not engaging. So so whether God is there or not is immaterial because you're actually engaging with an idea or a concept rather than. Than an actual personal that you're having personal relationship with, um, so I, I I I totally get that. Can can I uh, throw out another one in, in a slightly different you know um, almost almost going the other way for for a second if that's okay. So and there, there are two parts to this question. So the first one would be if your listeners are concerned maybe or whatever or they're listening and they go sure but I'm, I'm actually not sure that I have begun this really like I, I'm not sure I've you know I don't I don't have this presence absence thing so maybe I haven't engaged with God in that way where would where would someone start with that like you know I, I mean I, I quite enjoyed your um, I think I can't remember if it was the end of storytelling or deep listening, um, but but one of them you kind of put out quite a practical thing at the end where you're kind of like, well, this is what you do if you want to do this. This is go and do it. Um, and 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 I'm just curious if somebody is kind of you know kind of going, oh, you know, I, this sounds amazing, and I'm not sure I'm there. Where do I even start? Would be the the first part of the question, and the second part of the question would be just on a very practical kind of level. What would a mature relationship, uh, relational engaging relationship with God look like? I mean, you know, uh, we, we have these, and, and, and you spoke in the last podcast about sort of the difference between mountaintop experiences and, and an ongoing relational intimacy. And, and I know so many people long for that relational intimacy, but it, it feels almost like a, it, it feels almost impossible because like all we've known is these relationship, these, these mountaintops. Um, so you have these amazing, you get, you know, you get the goosebumps and, you know, you feel like you're on fire or whatever. And like, do you have that every day? Like, is that an everyday thing? Uh, do you know, do you, do you hear the voice of God every day? Is this a, like, can I have actual conversations with God where he responds to me every day? So how, how does, so, so, so my first part would be, where do you start? And then the second part is like, what, what could this look this? Yeah. What could this look like? Where do you end? Mm-hmm. Good questions. Can I start with the second one? <laughs> so I'm also trying to remember the exact specific details of what we talked about a couple of weeks back that you're referencing in terms of the like go and do this, because 
I feel like I might just repeat myself uh, if my hunch is leading in the right direction. But um, I'm going to answer the second question. Answer. I'm going to have a stab at the second question in two ways. The very kind of the theoretical practice, the theoretical and my actual experience. And I'm going to start with my experience. My experience tells me that I don't know what it is to have a mature relationship with God yet, because that is a becoming within me that I am slowly discovering more and more. And part of that for me is my, is my desire and intention to shift more from the theoretical into the experiential. And so what does it mean for me to have a mature, healthy relationship with God? I don't know because I don't think I'm there yet. And I think, you know, people say things like, oh, how can you ever be there? It's an ongoing thing. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. But I think you start to get a sense when you've been through some stuff with a person. I'm going to talk in the human realm. You start to get a sense of, wow, we've dealt with some stuff. And, and I feel like we've dealt with this better and better over the last three years than the 10 previous or the last five years than the 20 previous or whatever. And I feel like the way in which, you know, my experience of the way in which we speak to each other is getting, is, you know, we're giving a little bit more life to each other in the way we talk. There's, there's, there's more a sense of real deep connection. There's more a sense of we're meeting each other's needs better. There's our communication is clearer you know, we don't, all sorts of little things that come up theoretically, like we, 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 we still fight, but when we fight, we fight better. So we fight sometimes for shorter lengths of period, you know, shorter periods of time over certain things, because we're able to resolve things in a healthy way, actually resolve faster with, you know, more and more experience. We, we know when it's time to really go, whoa, okay, stop everything. We're going to book four hours on a Friday evening to solve this. We, you know, there's, there's ways in which you get a sense, wow, we're, we're starting to do this better and better. And I think that's some of what I'm looking for in relationship with God, having experienced some tastes of that in the human realm. But I haven't experienced that yet. It's something I'm waking up to in the last six months to a year of, oh, wow, I really need to embody and embed myself in this experiential thing because Otherwise, I'll talk forever about the other category, which I'll shift to now, in the theoretical. Because the theoretical is, to my mind, somewhat easy. I know a number of markers through which to measure the health of a relationship. How do you set time aside for God? And, and let me qualify some of this, because I think some of it is the very, it's, it's the nuts and bolts of what people have been teaching for spirituality and the spiritual disciplines for ages, and sometimes it incorporates for me the actual relational element. Sometimes that's incidentally there, and other times just not completely. But you know, people talk about do you have a quiet time every day? Do you actually spend time in quiet? Do you pray? Do you read your Bible? Do you do all these practices, right? But to do that with an idea or a concept or a you know a church doctrine or you know what the ecosystem tells you God is or whatever. Is not the same as going, okay, let's do the actual experience now. Are you there? Wait quietly. Listen. Are you there? 
I said, hi, and not rush off. Oh, thank God, there's a Bible verse that says he's always here and he'll never leave me or forsake me. Okay, question answered. Next question. No, 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 no. Like quiet time that's relationally, experientially valid. Okay. When you have a deep relationship with someone, you set time aside for them. You do things together. You, you, you watch each other and take joy in the other's emotions, wins. You, you grieve when they grieve. You ask them questions about who they are. You're curious about their character and their nature. You know, again, I would differentiate from much of what I feel the church teaches in spirituality is go and tell God who God is. Like, how how would that work out at any level for a human to human? Hi, my name is Steve. Nice to meet you, Joyce. I just wanted to tell you, this being our first date, everything about you that I've discovered. Oh, great. How was your date with Steve? It was fine for the first three seconds till he opened his mouth and started telling me who I was. Who the hell wants to date that guy or girl or whatever? And so there's great curiosity. Who are you? Reveal yourself. Take a risk on me. Show me more. Show me more. Show me more. Oh, I'm not showing you enough. Okay, I'll show you more. I'll take a risk as well. It, it listens. It communicates better and better. It seeks for the better for the other party and for the union. It's, it produces, I think, and I'm not necessarily just talking biologically now, you know, two people have children, but it makes something of it. It's, it there's a tangible presence in the world because these two parties are connecting and, and vibing and being creative and something happens. There's creative energy. Things get made because of that. I think healing comes to the individuals involved and the people who connected with them. There's all sorts of things that happen in a really good relationship. And so what does a mature relationship with God look like? I think it, it more and more integrates all of those theoretical aspects. But it has to be done on a personal one-to-one experiential level. It can't be done on a doctrinal faith statement, picture church on a Sunday and repeat after me all the other things that everyone else says or sing the same songs or listen to a sermon or, or whatever. That and you know, that's your first question. Like so then well, how do I do that if I'm not doing that yet or what that, that looked like? But it has to happen in the personal realm is how I would distinguish. And I think that's exceedingly difficult, as anyone who's ever given themselves to a deep relationship, I think would honestly tell you. It's exceedingly difficult to give yourself to a deep relationship. It asks everything of you and the other and your union. Um, and that's how I would think it starts to look a bit more mature. And it also perhaps doesn't shy away from deep questions, difficult questions, and uh, absence and abandonment scenes. We were talking about those. So let me stop there. I'm going to fly in the face of commonly given answers amongst Christians yeah right <laughs> so so bear with me I was me so for excited a for a second I thought you were going to say you were flying in the face of what I said <laughs> no no yeah no. <laughs> let's Barney let's Barney let's 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 let's, let's have it gonna, uh, is this is this the kind of conversation that's gloves and knives <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't I don't believe that we should put the formational forward as though having formed the character, the likeness of Christ, evidences that a relationship with God is mature and has been established. And I think that that is our default and that is our tendency 
Um, and, and you certainly hear that a lot in, in and amongst you know, uh, Christians and people that look at spirituality. Sorry, Tim, Tim can I clarify that? Um, just, just explain that a little more. So you're saying uh, character formation almost. So the behavior is not evidence of a deep, meaningful relationship. Have I got that right? Absolutely, absolutely. So we often we often put formative spirituality forward as though having attained the mind of Christ and likeness to Christ in our behavior, that therefore we have a mature relationship with God. And we attain that through the spiritual disciplines, through reading scripture and reflecting on it and all that kind of stuff. And I want to qualify it this way, though. God is often welcomed and therefore more freely speaks and moves and acts among the needy and the broken who don't reflect any of those formational markers we'd look for as evidences of spiritual maturity. I think you clearly see that a deep maturity with God has not been established when you speak to someone that's been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. They evidence all that character likeness. In fact, they're so squeaky clean, your dishes just automatically clear up when they walk in. The, the 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 oil that's on the floor just like 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 vaporizes <laughs> you, you know those kind of squeaky clean people right <laughs> when they start saying things like i don't need god to speak to me directly like you're talking about tim steve i'm happy with god speaking to me in roundabout ways and when i read the bible i don't need god's immediate experience i don't need god to touch me because i'm mature i haven't heard from god in these 10 20 30 40 years i've got a mature faith when they say things like, Tim, Steve, how do you know that, that God's speaking to you and how do you know you that you can trust that voice? I think that kind of language evidences the degree to which our paradigm for faith has displaced relationality in spirituality and in the practice of Christianity and in um, our discipleship of people that follow Christ. Uh, does, does, does that make sense? Am I? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm supporting, I'm supporting what you're saying, Steve, rather than shanking you, <laughs> because, because I think that, um, and I think this goes back to, to some of what we were saying earlier, uh, Jackie, just before, for, just before the podcast, we are saying that I feel like by investing in faith, we've often invested in the wrong things, and, 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 and in fact, even by investing in holiness, I'd go so far as to say by investing in holiness the way that we have, we've invested in, in the wrong things. And, um, um, you know, for anyone that wants to argue with me, there's a great German guy named Rudolf Otto. He wrote a fantastic book called The Idea of the Holy. <laughs> and I won't do the injustice of misquoting him on, on his arguments around how goodness has displaced God. <laughs> so so uh, as soon as I've got a, a good grapple on that, I'll, I'll comment on that. But, but some of these thoughts are, are really supported by thinkers like that that have you, you know, who's, I mean, he wrote in 1936, but it's as relevant now as, as ever. It's like a like a timeless analysis of, of how we've done this, um, of how we've, we've, we've put goodness forward and said, therefore God is there. Or we've put, we've put holiness forward and therefore said that God is there. And that's, that's not the case. And I think that the most dysfunctional expression of that is, is probably the prosperity gospels that says health and wealth <laughs> or popularity even. It means that God is behind you and is evidence that God is there. And, and I think, I mean, we, I, I would hope to believe that all three of us would agree that's BS. 
But if you want to prove that God's here, then there's a PayPal link in the show notes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I think in the practical sense, there's it becomes it becomes difficult because am I saying that people don't mature towards the likeness of Christ by engaging by God engaging them? That's not actually what I'm saying. I'm saying that we can attain that without God, and in fact. I don't think we need Jesus even to attain that. We can attain character likeness towards Buddha. We can attain character likeness without any religious backbone and just use any secular equivalent of those markers as well. And over time, we can be disciplined and formed towards wisdom, maturity, and relationship, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um. That's definitely one. I, I'm just going to read Otto then. Um because I think that's one that we definitely need to grapple with at some point. That's a good one. Because my jury is still somewhat out on that as I think through that. So rather than okay. unpicking all of that now, <laughs> I think that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant one for us to wrestle around. Is that is that proposition, right, as you put it, of is goodness, is it only available through connection with God? Is it, you know, what I'm not going to unpack that now. That'll just take us down a rabbit hole. But I mean, you, you could just yes, take what I said on, uh, on the basis of faith and just accept it. Um. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, know I could, but I think the word you're looking for there is should. So. <laughs> um, you asked about how do we start, Jackie. I had a quick thought, if I might just just quickly run through that. So, I have a feeling this is very similar to what I might have said a few weeks back, so forgive me if it is, but I have this um, this wonderful practice from uh, from Jordan Peterson, who's a much, he's a polarizing figure, so I don't really care where you <laughs> land with him, etc., but this just as a, as a little excerpt as a practice is really important. He says, if you want to know about yourself and what it is that you need to work on within yourself, and you take that really seriously, then go and sit on your bed and ask yourself every night, and you will get an answer. And you might not like it, and it might scare you, and it might deeply disturb you, but if you really want to know, then go and do it. And yourself will answer. It will tell you, this is what I need, or this is what you must stop, or this is what you must start, or whatever it might be. And so that's a short summary of that process. And in a way, I would offer that as a window into where to get started, is to go, okay, well, I'll sit on my bed the end of every day and i'll set aside 15 minutes and say okay god if you're there show yourself to me if i'm desirous to be desirous of you even you know some of the great mystics talk about um i want you to help me want to want you even is stimulate this thing within me and and be there I'm not conflating two things, respect unhelpful. Let me keep it simple. Just go and sit on your bed and say, okay, if I take this seriously, this relational thing, beyond all of the context and the background and the stories and everything else, and I have this firsthand from an amazing woman who was a mentor for me. She said when she first became a Christian in inverted commas, she said, I said to God, I said to God, forget everything else, all the books and what people say, you tell me who you are. And that was her departure point. And it, it's, it's just never left me, the force of that. No, no, no. You tell me. And it wasn't an exclusive statement around, you know, I'll only believe what comes through my own head. And, you know, there's other things I think going on there. But central to this is, okay, you tell me. 
And that's a potential starting point. There are others. Go sit on your bed. Take 15 minutes every night. There's some things that we could tease out of that in terms of you know how we're building what that can look like as an experience. Set the time aside and go and say, all right, I'm here. I'm listening. And then when something happens, find someone that you can trust and tell them about it and ask them to take it seriously with you and talk through what happened. And don't mistake the two because those are two different things. Talking to your friend about what happened with God doesn't replace what happens with you and God. It's a way of helping just unpack and sort of talk through it. But that primary practice, approach God and go, all right, I'm here. Apparently you're here. This this is something that we, we, we are going to dig into, I think, with more uh, focused attention in, in, in upcoming episodes. I feel that the roots, the roots of it in terms of how to start is to start with the practice of presence to one's own self, practicing maintaining presence to self in relation to being present to others, and practicing remaining present to self when being present when God is present to you as well. And and that's there's there's quite a complex interplay between them. So so we'll 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 look at that. I think more formally, like down the line and more deliberately. But I feel that it's it's very simple to say to 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 speak of this as though it's easy. And I know that the usual given answer is you want to start this journey. Oh, well, what does it look like? It looks like giving a couple that doesn't actually know how to connect with each other beginner advice. Like guys have coffee once a week. Um, make mm-hmm. sure you communicate respectfully. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> None of that is actually very helpful for them because because they've done all of that. <laughs> None of those things are actually enabling them. They actually need a um, a deeper conversation, a more mature conversation, and, and that's a conversation that often begins with a uh, gaining a sense of who they are and what their relational needs are, and what their relational disconnects are, what their triggers are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's why I like the language, the practice of presence to self. And there, there's a mm, lot in the good. in the Christian wisdom tradition that's really good. Evangelicals, though, don't transition from faith very often to relational engagement. They don't transition from faith to experience in that sense. And I think their experience has to lead. Because to practice the presence of God is to practice responding to God when God draws near and therefore you need to be very familiar and make yourself familiar and be willing to face the fact that God is absent, that you don't hear God, that you don't trust God, and you actually don't know how you're going to respond to the divine stranger who draws near to you. And, and I think there's a starting point there. And I'd go so far as to say it starts with the acknowledgement that you actually don't trust God <laughs> and you don't necessarily even love God. And mm-hmm. But you're still going to want to to meet God. Now, I think that there, there's a there's a point where people recognize the voice of God or they recognize the presence of God. That's often they can look back in their life to 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 a clear moment when they knew that God was there. And I say, what was involved in that moment for you? Because that's what you're practicing. That's what you're practicing. And what you're looking to do is cultivate a practice of that. And that might mean a lot of inviting and waiting around 
And it might mean that God sometimes interrupts you and, and arrives at an inconvenient time. And in those times, you get to know your reflexes. Do you turn to God when God draws near to you? Do, do you turn away from God? So I think to practice the presence of God, you've got to be willing to risk practicing hearing from God directly and immediately in order to get to know what God's voice is like and to decide if you like it and miss it. And that's okay whether you have the desire for God or not. It also looks like practicing seeing what God is doing when God arrives and God is moving and God draws near. And all of this is predicated upon the idea that 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 the ever-presentness of God or the omnipresence of God is not very helpful to us at all along these lines. And that, and that our, 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 our theological language of the omnipresence of God that then means that we rush in to rescue people from any sense of abandonment, etc., etc., doesn't respect the relationality of God. Right there in the beginning, God drew near to Adam and Eve to walk with them in the garden, and then God left them. That's right there in the beginning. The Father does that with Jesus as well. He's not 24-7 in the presence of his Father. He, he withdraws to go and spend time with his father, and then he comes out to engage the crowd to go about his ministry. I think that we, we, we've got a, a spirituality that is disconnected from the rela- relationality of, of, of Messiah and saints and prophets and, and, and others because it's, it, it basically puts it in this binary. You're born into the faith. Oh, you're baptized as an infant. Oh, you've been confirmed. Oh, look, you've always known God. But that's not the experience that people report. People report having an engagement with God where they go, oh my goodness, this God is real. And then what do we sell them after that? We, we don't sell them the practice of that presence. And, and in many situations, we don't do it in a healthy way. So I think that's, the, that's, that's probably the safest way in this context to try and answer that. So basically you're saying that, in, and, and this is why, you you've spent you guys have spent quite a lot of time speaking about uh, recognizing the absence of God, um, and and I think from what I'm hearing you say, the reason that that is so critically important is because we we've all been schooled in this idea that God, God is always there, and because God is always there, we don't look for Him, and we just we we because we've been schooled in this faith tradition, I must just trust He's there, and and that doesn't require any effort or commitment or a push in or really even engagement from my side because well God is just there whereas by stopping and going hang on I, I actually need to engage I need to to be in the presence of God and the way I start with that is I go when was that time that I have heard God speak when was the time that that I, I knew God was near what was that like how, how did he speak to me what what was that experience because because that's we want, we want that as a, as a not a once-off, but as a, as a relationship, as an ongoing, uh, day by day experience, and and so by recognizing, case okay, so I don't have that now, that's what I'm I'm waiting for. You then kind of in a sense have, you you, you know what you you then going and sitting on the bed waiting for. You're saying, okay, I've I've experienced you before. I, I've known you. And I want more of you. And and this little thing that I have here, this is all I've got. Uh, but I want more. And and can you can you show me more? I, I agree. I agree with you there. And and in fact, there's a there's a wonderful Greek term called a, a synecdoche, 
something like that. Um, I, I'd have to I'd have to spell it, and I can't spell it off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but but it's a wonderful term that's bandied around in theology because it's, because in the Old Testament, the hand of God is a you know it's it's like an appendage of God, but it's used for the sense of the fullness of God's presence arrives on someone, or the word of God arrived at someone. And that's a sense of the fullness of God's presence, which is what Jesus uses a reference of, of the finger of God. <laughs> you know, if by the finger of God I do the following, it's actually the fullness of God that's backing this, right? There's a, there's, there's a way in which this works. And I would, I would actually dare say that we should go, we should go a sense further because the, the individual that's looking back and recollecting an experience like that is not recollecting an experience of, of a sliver of God that they can then blow out of proportion, it's the fullness of God that arrived there in that sliver that they experienced. And in seeking a clear engagement with God that's, that, that is on par with that is for them to, to be connecting with the fullness of God that's going to draw near to them. And the fullness of that God that draws near is one that we can trust to not let that become dysfunctional for people. I was, I was just thinking, if it's okay, and I actually want to link it back to, to the conversation that we were having a bit earlier about safety. I think perhaps one of the reasons that uh, this this isn't practiced is because it's so unsafe. <laughs> you you have no idea um, when when God, um, you know, when, when, when you invite God to, to draw near, like... He, being a completely separate entity in and of himself, he can he can show up in all sorts of ways, and I think and I think that um, uncertainty and that unsafeness or that risk, there's a good word, if that risk is is too much for people, so they they retreat from that and kind of go, well, I don't know what God's going to do, so so I'm rather going to just uh, rely on what's safe, and what's safe is what I know and what I can control. And I can I, I know and I can control the Bible and I know and I can control scripture and how we do our liturgy in the church and so I'll I'll stick there because this is this is profoundly unsafe. It's and I think it's unsafe for two reasons. I think it's unsafe because we don't know what God will do, but I think it's also unsafe because there's that fear of, you know, if I do do this and God doesn't show up, what does that mean? Um and I think that's a very real fear for a lot of people is, you know, if I invite God and and he consistently doesn't show up. What does that mean about God, and what does that mean about me? It's quite um, simple. God, God doesn't love you. God's tired of you. God yeah, left. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> God but can't be not... trusted. God can't be trusted. You know, God's yeah. got a limited attention span. God's actually yeah. ultimately only like like tired. <laughs> <laughs> he left the building. Mm. We missed it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what you're talking about there, Jackie, is just like it's the foundation for for relationship. You know, what what I love that you're setting out there is that relationship is risk. If you look between two people, it's one person saying to another person, hey, when I call, would you show up? Can we start to build that trust? that if I have need of you and I express that need, you will be responsive. It's, you know, the absence and abandonment that we're talking about earlier is a trust move, let's say, from a parent to a child. 
to go, even if you make a mistake, or I'm even quite convinced that you'll make a mistake in my absence, I am going to extend that trust and I'm going to take that risk and go, yeah, sure. You can drive the car, have a party at the house, uh, know how to tie your own shoelaces. I can trust you that you've been to the bathroom before we leave the house. Like, it's it's huge expressions of risk and trust because that's what relationship is. The the alternative, as I see it, is exactly as you describe it. It's control. How do you know that the kid is always going to have their shoelaces tied as if the parent always ties their shoes? How do you know if the kid will never get anything wrong if the parent is always there overmanaging everything? How do we how do we know that God is always going to show up? We don't. It's <laughs> I was discussing with a friend of mine, we were we were talking about sort of process and development work the other day. And I was talking about so within this context, kind of the Christian context, people talk about desert experiences, moments of dryness and drought and lack. And often it's about there's an absence component there for God, etc. And that one of the most powerful parts of a desert experience is often that you have no idea of how long it's going to be. And that to a certain extent, you have to surrender to the experience and immerse yourself in it for what it is. I think of this incredibly powerful scene out of the movie Fight Club, where the Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, Brad Pratt, yeah, Brad Pitt character, who we eventually learn, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it, sucks to be you, go and watch it, it's amazing. Turns out to be the same person, but there's this point at which the Brad Pitt character pours acid onto the hand of the Edward Norton character, and he fights him on it, fights him, fights him, because it burns and he wants to get it off. And the Brad Pitt character slaps him and he says, this is your life. Like, Be here now. This is the only moment that is actually happening to you right here, right now. It's the pain. Be there in it. Embrace it. This is where you're at. And desert experiences can be hugely transformative experiences. Part of that is because we don't know when it's going to end. And that is a risk thing. Now, when I worked in, when I worked with young people in their development, we had a rites of passage experience that 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 we that we led for for younger teenagers. And all our research showed us that the extent of time that we ran this for, and it was 32 days, was not enough. Because the young people who came on that experience could deal with, with the difficulties involved, the questions that they might have to ask of themselves and others of what it means to be someone who's becoming something else could all be put on hold because they could make it for 32 days. They could put a smile on their face. They could deal with the difficulty. They basically just put parts of themselves on hold until they got to go home again. Whereas the research showed that at the end of week four, somewhere between sort of the end of week three and the end of week four, that's when all the things would start to crumble. And it's a very important part at which they would let go of things that would allow difficulties to emerge, blah, 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 blah. And it's because it's a period of time to a certain extent that you just, you can't just keep going in the same way that you were. You have to submit to the experience and go, oh, fine. 
And that's part of, I think, the absence and abandonment thing is it's a huge relational risk for a parent to practice absence or abandonment to their child and step back. And the kid goes, well, this is, this is going on long enough that I might actually have to accept the fact that I have to start to tie my own shoelaces. Like, I mean, it's a silly example, but I don't really want to go into deeper examples. But there's huge risk, you know, involved in this give and take. And, and yeah, that's very clear in how you put it. Um, but that's what a relationship is. To make it anything else is to make it a pseudo, I think. The fact that, that this, this question is asked with such regularity across church traditions the fact that it's asked so regularly and I, and I get to face it so regularly is just evidence that there's something deeply at fault with what's going on with the way we're doing this. Because if the alternative to trusting God is controlling God, then we, we, we've got to ask ourselves some serious questions. Because without being able to control God, we're basically then saying it's better to not invite God with the fear that she might not be able to come or continue to come, or not behave as expected, or to behave in a way that disrupts what we're doing. So let's do this thing without the expectation of the presence of God, or the activity of God, or or of being able to say to people that God is real, we can expect God to arrive and do something, yeah. So so, so really what we end up doing is we, we're offering a very domesticated faith expression of God when we end up doing church this way. And that's that's actually what we're in the business of doing. That's actually what we've institutionalized. And that's a far cry away from a more more kingdom of God, reign of heaven type centered message that Jesus has, which is a which which is an embodied ambassadorial representation of God. Where where what did he do? He sent the twelve and the seventy or seventy two out to go ahead with the expectation that God would arrive. You know, and so fundamentally, when we talk discipleship, that's what Jesus was doing with them. How do we disciple people today? We disciple them with everything but that. And then we say that their discipleship is complete and don't go near these crazy people who want to include this. <laughs> you know. Um and, and so I think I think that somewhere there I think I think the question here is more valuable than the answer, if that makes sense. I think we can we can try to answer the question in in, in a number of different ways, and I feel that in 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 looking for the answer, we actually we might miss the fact that the question is asked actually because something is amiss, and and the question is how do we address what's amiss? And I think that goes back to the two the two things that you said earlier. You know, how do you begin? What does it look like when you end? I'd like to re-ask Tim's question from earlier. Where where do you find yourself? Where are you sitting in terms of we're very interested in your thoughts right now, Penny, for your thoughts? There's so I'm often um at the end of these kind of conversations and often at the end of uh, your podcast, I'm often left with a, a sense of sadness. Um uh, because you know, in, in ministry, in, you know, um, being a minister, running a church, in so many, in so many ways, this is what you get into ministry for, you know, um, is, is so that God, the God that you experience is made real, um, 
relationally to people you engage with and um and and in your work and and yet because of all these things that we've we've just said um it's not and and uh we spend far more time with the faith formation and the doctrine and the um yeah, uh, focusing on all that we can control, uh, that we that we 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 lose this, um, you know, we lose the space and um, yeah. So so it's a, it's a incredibly challenging for me to to try and marry uh, this and this this longing and this um, and this potential of what this can be with the the day-to-day reality of a of a congregation and 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 life uh so so yeah so that's i think that's that's the one side where my my thoughts go is um uh, although i have to i have to i have to admit that there there is an element of um so there's a sadness but there's also an element of excitement because there's a there's a it also puts out a possibility um so 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 for me there's also that there's 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 a sadness that we're not there but also an excitement of a possibility that that you know just maybe maybe this is maybe this is for real <laughs> maybe maybe we could we could actually get there um so 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 that's so i think i think the one the one half of my brain goes there and and kind of um which is a very safe place to go because it's kind of work and theoretical and stuff like that um the far less safe place uh, is kind of when you know we we talk about all these things, but you know you then you look at your your own life and your own relationship with God and kind of going okay so how do how do I understand this for me and and how do I understand the drawing near and the withdrawal of God and um, what risks am I avoiding <laughs> I think is a it's a good question I'm asking myself a lot of it at the moment. And um and, and and it was interesting, Steve, your your comment on um that mentor who says said, you know, um, God, I want you to tell me about yourself, kind of thing. Um I I've recently gone through quite a rough patch and 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 had a, a really tough time with some stuff and and so many, you know, there's so many answers <laughs> that that uh, Christians love to give. Um and I, I just found none of them holding water and and uh and actually came to exactly that same conclusion where I've gone to God and gone I actually want to hear what you have to say about this I'm actually not interested in what other people have to say I, I want to know where you are and I want to know what you have to say about this which is a very different space to to enter into um you, you know um yeah so 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 those are the two spaces that my head is in um thank you I appreciate the just the honesty and the vulnerability with which you, I guess, how seriously you take the question. So thank you. Well, thank you for being being willing to to engage with my questions. <laughs> I, I I only have about five thousand more, so it's okay. <clears throat> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> You're in good company. <laughs> Myriads too. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I really wanted to take seriously the invitation for you to share whatever you'd like, perhaps with our listeners around, you know, this this adventure that you're on and the family 
etc. And it's not necessarily so much a plug as it is. You know, I, I was thinking just now, for me, one of the beauties of this thing that Tim and I get to do with each other and then also with wonderful people like yourself and other guests is this repeat pattern of this image of sitting in a lounge somewhere just having a conversation and it's as if the listener just walked through the door and went oh what are you guys talking about and that it is really it's it's not scripted and we don't necessarily have to hit any markers we sometimes have a sense of where we're going but it really is just conversational and so in the vein of that is just an invitation as we end if there was anything that you wanted to add in conversation for our listeners to have a sense of you and what you're up to i'd love to to just yeah if, if you'd like to do that to just uh, kind of make that space available and share what it is whatever it is that you'd wish to sure um and and yeah can i just affirm you guys that that's exactly how i've experienced your podcast and i've just loved that you know i always you. it's 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 been such a lovely it it and it feels it feels so natural to just yeah, I feel like I, I, I'm just joining you in a conversation. So it's so nice to do it for real, because I think I've just done it <laughs> vicariously. You. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, each Thursday when I wait for it to come out, I'm like, come, I want to have, you know, a coffee. <laughs> 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 um, Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah, so, so my, my work is, is um, fun and crazy and terrifying and, all at the same time, um, yeah. We about uh, three years ago, we we just we just sensed a calling. Um, we we had already, <laughs> I, I say that we had sensed a calling then, but but we'd actually already kind of started engaging in this work long before that. We we had a foster kid some, sure some I think it's like nine years ago. We had a foster kid uh, just kind of out of the blue for a year, uh, a gorgeous teenager. Uh, who joined us for 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 a year, um, and then was reunited with her her family, um, and uh, in fact I was chatting to her this week, and she's oh, she's thriving. It's just it's such a beautiful thing, um, and then and then quite soon after that we adopted Christine, um, crazy story in and of itself, and then and then yeah, and then we kind of settled into a little family. We um, I had Jesse somewhere along the line, and 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 settled into family and ministry but always sensed that there was there was something more there and um in 2019 you know just really got a sense of God starting to speak and um and calling calling us out of where we were going where we were but not quite sure what we were going into and um yeah and and began a bit of a journey of discovery into exactly what it was that God was was saying uh, which involved a whole lot of conversations with uh, people, including Steve, funnily enough, um, and uh, of of how 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 this kind of life would would look and work, and and uh, slowly the 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 picture of this um, home kind of came into 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 view of this you know of, of a foster home, you know, there 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 are many places, phenomenal places. I mean, I work with them that taken primarily babies and uh, pr pr provide a place of safety for them until they can get adopted out and, and things like that. Um, but there are very, very few places that take in older kids and, um, and 
and also very few who will take in riskier cases. Uh, cases, and when I say riskier, I mean riskier because there's biological family involved. So you take in a child with the intention of reunification. Um, you know, people kind of, the, the, the kind of common thing is I, can't, I couldn't do that, you know, <laughs> my heart would break and stuff, but then who does, you know? Um, so that kind of risk, the risk of, God, it's it's better coming. to leave them alone with no options, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because my heart will break, never mind theirs, you know. Um, um, but also riskier from in terms of kids who've been badly hurt, you know, severe abuse, severe neglect, um, you know, things like that. And and just becoming more aware, more aware that there's just nowhere for these kids go like they just they they just are no options and so so yeah so so we began uh, with the, <laughs> it's quite funny we look back at uh, at now you know um we, we we had a very clear decision that we were only going to take children younger than christine so only under the age i think she was seven six seven at the time so only sort of preschool age um yeah and then our first kid was 10 <laughs> Um, um and uh then our second kid was 11 <laughs> and uh yeah um and uh, yeah and so we've actually shifted even that completely and and now we now we take in yeah um so yeah and, and with the, the goal of just taking them in and and uh and providing whatever they need um which is permanence for as long as they need um if there's reunification we fight for that if not yeah, they. Yeah, sorry, Tim. Yeah, so so from from what I understand, you 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 take them in if they reconcile with family. That's that that's great. That's that's one of the um, one of the outcomes. But but you also move to to adopt. Yeah. So if if they become adoptable, um, we yeah we that's that's what we do. Then we adopt them. So so we become their forever family. Um, however that looks, because some of them will never be adoptable um and and um and but that doesn't change doesn't change what we do with them they're still with us forever <laughs> just 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 to jump in, in in there if i if i may um you, you use the term forever home now what what happens with a lot of kids that end up going through the system and being a, a ward of the estate in one form or another and and a lot of foster kids even you know like you are you receive some measure of care, varying quality, <laughs> you know, context and all that kind of stuff, up until the point that you're 18 and then you're on your own. So by by using the term forever home, are you are you meaning that they they always have a home, you know, of some sorts with you even beyond that? Yeah, no, I mean, so so we believe that the kids who come in are are, are our kids for all intents and purposes. And I mean, you wouldn't kick your kid out. <laughs> uh, I hope. <laughs> well, <laughs> the silence. No. <laughs> no. So, so, After so, the abandonment uh, conversation with Steve yes, did earlier, I'm not same. sure about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jerry's out here, parents. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, no. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, so, so. well, I guess, I guess what, what I mean is, is there's, a, there's a lot of kids that, that have to speak about foster homes or children's homes, but they're not actually their homes and they're not actually parents, even though they're called you know, like host parents or, or anything like that. So, so there's there's like a pseudo community, pseudo home, and you can never actually build trust and security if that's what it is, because you can't trust any of those things, and that often carries through into people's 
quite late into people's lives. It sounds to me like with, with some of what you're putting forward there, that, that instinctually or with wisdom or with guidance, I don't know, somehow you've, you've got to say, you, you've landed on something there that is actually quite profound in terms of, in terms of what, what children from difficult backgrounds like that need. And I think that's quite commendable, and I think it's worth highlighting. It's one of the reasons why I really believe that you know you guys are worth supporting. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, and and it's and it's it's interesting. I mean, um, both our our older girls who joined us later, both of them have asked numerous times of you know what happens when when they turn eighteen because they've they've been schooled in that they that's what they believe like. You know, and 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 in fact, birthdays are terrifying because they're one step closer to that. And and we we spend a lot of time reassuring them that no, <laughs> you you're stuck with us. <laughs> you know, um, you know this is this is you know, forever home means forever home. You know, we're your family, and and family doesn't you're not family until you. And it, and interestingly, it was one of the decisions we had to make as to whether to be a children's home or a foster family. And one of the reasons we picked a foster family was for, for that exact reason because we're a family and 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 children's homes try really hard to be a family but it's different it, it's just not the same um uh, I, and I, I i won't i won't rein in and make any comments there for my jaded <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so so yeah so so we we currently have five um i i suspect we may be growing again sometime soon um, I say very carefully, um, uh, yeah, uh, which is in and of itself quite scary. Um, but um, the the other the other thing that we we very um, intentional on is our current kids are our priority. So, and I mean the need is so huge. I mean I get phoned, you know, almost daily and asked to take in children. And um, that's how big the need is, which is terrifying. But but we never take in um, without kind of almost the consent of our current kids. It's a very careful journey. Our primary responsibility has to be to our the kids that we've got and that we've committed to. Yeah, so that hamstrings you a little bit in terms of how many you can do. But uh, yeah, uh, it, it's and it's just interesting. Each each child has their own story, and and very much their own story for how they landed up with us, like why why they why they landed up in 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 our home, <laughs> and uh, and and there's a lot of um, just trying to be aware of what what God is saying, you know, for for each of them, and and um, yeah, um, yeah. So so it's a it's a it's. A, it's a challenging, it's a very, very challenging space. We're a very um, unusual family and um, there's lots of trauma and lots of triggers and lots of difficulties and things that come with that. But we also get to, we get to witness transformation like like nothing I've ever seen in my life. Like it's been, uh, yeah, it's been amazing. <laughs> we just, uh, yeah, we, and these kids are, these kids are phenomenal. I mean, what they've survived and, 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 and how they've survived and how they've, you know, how they fight to continue to survive, unfortunately, often in unhealthy ways, but but just recognizing that for what it is, instead of demonizing that, to to actually respect that and go, hey, you know, this this wasn't a healthy way to do this, and, and there are better ways, and we can teach you that. But man, you made it with this, and it's, you know, um, yeah. It's 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 a profound journey. It's it's changed us completely. Um, 
And you, you said earlier, we've known each other a long time, but I have always been in awe of your, your passion and your fighting spirit for, for vulnerable people. And now, specifically how you, you and Tim express that in, in the vulnerable children that become part of your family. Um, and it's been an amazing privilege to just witness a lot of the manifestation of this relational risk stuff that we've talked about a bit this evening at play in, in your lives as you take the risk of listening to God, as you take the risk of following promptings and spoken things, and you talk about the story of each child, etc., and that you lean seriously into that is uh, is quite amazing to to follow this sense of calling. And I've been privileged enough to be kind of on site with you guys at home a little bit and get to meet your kids. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for this uh, kind of your, your life and your witness, the two of you, you and Tim, your husband and, and the family that you that you have built and you continue to sustain and nourish, you know, and point forwards towards a better future. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal thing to, to be able to witness and have some, some sort of connection with. So thank you for sharing. Urban Mystic relies on your support to do the work that we do. Please consider making a regular or once-off contribution via the, the link to PayPal in the show notes. Please don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment on your favorite listening platform.